We took this Veterans Day as an opportunity to reflect on our connections to veterans and to share some strategies and stories that help us hold the humanity of veterans, even as we may disagree with military conflict. Please note, we had some trouble with our audio, especially near the beginning of this episode. It does improve over the episode, and we will work to address it moving forward. And we thank you for your patience. This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy, a weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. Hi, everybody. Today is Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, especially uh, if there are any veterans listening. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you so much for your service. Tracy and I both have some pretty substantial proximity to veterans. And um, there's both a number of Jews who have served in the military, including my grandfather. And I also think discussing... um, the military beyond sort of an abstraction or at times like Veterans Day, I just, I think it would be helpful for us, Tracy, um, to bring some visibility to uh, the service and leadership and courage of, of veterans who are close to us in our lives and lift that up because I think it gets lifted up in services briefly, but in the context of mainstream Jewish culture. I don't, I just think it's worthwhile for us to open this. And there's a range of different issues that this touches upon around, we're going to focus in on specifically a number of the veterans and, and the impact that some of them have personally had on our lives. Um, And so I think it's best for us to start this conversation there and then see if potentially in other future episodes, if this may be something that we revisit or if this is just whole as it is. Over to you, Tracy. Oh, I, I may have mentioned on the show before, I don't know if I have or not, but my, my partner, my husband is is a, a veteran from the US Navy. He recently retired um, after 22 years of service. Um, and wow. so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm in very close proximity with a veteran. Um, and on Veterans Day, Memorial Day, I often think about the fact that though at the surface level, American society is very appreciative of our veterans. You know, um, you see yellow ribbons on cars and we have the day off for Veterans Day, or some of us do, I guess. Um, the When you dig a little deeper, you see how uh, qualified that support actually has been at different moments. Um, before we started recording, I named the fact that um, there were black veterans after World War II who were beaten for wearing the uniform. Um, that I know, April, there are folks in your family. Yeah, my Grandpa Joe. My Grandpa Joe was a first sergeant in the U.S. Army. So your grandfather was a black first sergeant in the in the forties. That's a yeah. big deal. That's a big deal. So in, in during the time of World War Two, he he achieved the rank of first sergeant. In yeah. The US Army. Yeah. And he has like amazing and, and emotional you know, he he was beloved. He said like he like he started like a interracial baseball league in Guam, like 
I think, I think his story was briefly that um, when they first came back, they went to have a meal and they wouldn't serve him. And that's one of the few times I ever saw my um, grandpa cry and it, it kind of hit him unexpectedly and the pain he felt of remembering that after having served in Guam and to come back and not be served with the rest of the group was really painful. Like when that thing happened with the restaurant, like my grandpa cried, but apparently like the, his, whatever it's called platoon, what's it? Um, like the white members, like the folks up, in his unit, like tore up the restaurant. They, they were like, yeah, he, cause he was like, there was like, I was just fine. And, he, and they were like <laughs> this. Like they love him so much. Yeah. Yeah. Stayed with him all those years later. And I've read, um, I've read oral histories from black GIs returning from, um, from Europe, uh, from World War II, who realized that they went over there to fight discrimination and and hatred and then came back to discrimination and hatred. They were, you know, fighting on two fronts. So there's that. And actually, the structural differences as well. So the GI Bill, which made homeownership a reality um, and, and within reach to so many soldiers returning from World War II, uh, because of the way that redlining and home loans worked, Black GIs were unable to access this very important affirmative action, <laughs> this very important access to wealth um, and, and intergenerational wealth that and this is this is one of those moments in history that I will point to when I talk to other white Jews who say who want to say I'm not white I'm Jewish because returning Jewish white GIs were able to use their um, VA loans and get and and have access to home ownership in ways that their um, their black shipmates uh, sorry my husband's. Navy, um, <laughs> their black shipmates were not able to. Um, so there may I quickly clarify yeah. is that when you were mentioning the GI bill and you're talking about it as like sort of a leg up for black folks that I think it wasn't actually affirmative action since everyone hypothetically was supposed to have acts well, hypothetically at the federal level, it ended up being affirmative action to for it. white people. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it ended up being affirmative action for white people. That was not what it was in supposed to be. And, and not even, and it was even it. more than affirmative action since they weren't needing affirmative action to begin right. with. So whatever is above. <laughs> right. 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 Um, yeah. So, so that moment, when I think about Veterans Day, I think about those veterans who didn't have access to the same kind of supports, um, whether soft supports of like, a boy, thank you for your service, or the actual more structural supports of a, a loan, a 30 year mortgage with that, with a low or no down payment. And I also think about after the Vietnam war, um, when so many soldiers returned from this unpopular war and were forced to sort of, I don't know, take responsibility for policies that they had, that, that they did, um, have to enforce, but had no say in actually writing. Um, and so they were just, there's, there was a whole generation of veterans who came back from Vietnam who were just left holding the bag of PTSD and uh, chemical toxicity from the Agent Orange and all the other terrible things that war does to a person without, they were left holding those things without the rest of us, their 
sort of saying like, thank you for doing what you did. Um, and that, I, I hold that really, um, I try to hold that while not appreciating the policies, you know, like you named the people before we started recording April. And that's something that, um, has always really felt very important to me. I was in graduate school during the Gulf War. And, um, so I was on the campus of the university of Chicago and there were, there was a lot of, um, righteous anger at the war among my undergraduate colleagues. I was a graduate student and there was even like a, like there were these young people who set up tents on the quad and it was like a, like a live in until, until the troops were withdrawn. And, and I saw a lot of that sort of either or thinking that really directed at, um, at military individuals. This was long before I was married to a sailor, um, or even considered that possibility. But I actually started Uh a, um, a little counter movement that sort of said, support people, support peace, and, and really tried to foreground the fact that we're talking about human beings. And I put people first because I felt like the peaceniks who were camping on the quad at the university of Chicago were so angry in their righteousness that it felt, I felt they were dehumanizing our, our military, our U S military, but others as well. And, um, and I just, I just had this instinct that that wasn't the way to peace, that dehumanization. Yeah. We had, um, yes, we would do prayer. We would have like a little prayer circle around the flagpole on the quad where these young people were, um, camping and just tell stories of people, the best of humanity that was coming out of the stories of the, of the Gulf war stories about, um, you know, Iraqis who were, who put themselves in harm's way in order to help protect, um, us soldiers or sailors or other Iraqis, um, about us soldiers and sailors who were, um, doing what they could to protect human dignity and life, even while in the midst of this conflict. Um, um, and, I, I'm too yeah. young to have lived through the return or blame. Yeah, yeah. So or like I, I wasn't. I wasn't actually socially aware as Vietnam vets were coming home. But the stories of Vietnam vets and the 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 traumas that they faced on returning to society always sat really heavy on me as I learned about it, even though I was learning it mostly as history. And I really didn't want that to happen again on my watch when I was socially aware. And so that was, that was what, what drove me to, to, to start this little counter, counter protest, <laughs> um, this, this support peace, support people thing. Tracy, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I just, uh, it just affirms how much I love you <laughs> and how I'm so grateful to the universe for bringing us together and, and for, Noah being the messenger of the universe who specifically <laughs> helped facilitate this. Um, I just love what you shared and you shared sort of something you said, and I can't quite remember, maybe it'll come back to me that like had like a light bulb thing that I was like, Ooh, that's so good to share. But I love this support people support peace. Oof, that's so good. And so some of the things that I think I want to add to this right now, to this first part of 
potentially a longer conversation. I'd like to share some stories. Yeah. So these are some of the things, as I think about veterans um, and my family, these are just some various anecdotes I want to share is that I feel like not just because of the military, I also think in some ways it's spiritual and it just so happens that they also engage in the military. I feel like I come from a family of warriors, spiritually. Um, and so many of the men in my family are so brave in a lot of different ways and are really supportive. And in addition to giving me access to USAA, which I love. <laughs> not getting a commission on that. I love the things I love. I love USAA. Um, my grandpa is an amazing packer, which apparently he got in the military and I would come and visit. And between my three aunts, I would come back with so many clothes and my grandpa always managed to fit it all in. Like he was like a mess, like one of his, because in a lot of ways now he wouldn't inherently know. Um, unlike say like my uncle who was green beret and who everything about him exudes military. Like, Hey, uncle Greg, uh, do you like making music? I really love sound engineering. No, Andrew, I make music with machine guns. Okay. <laughs> like, like, that's Uncle Greg, but my <laughs> grandpa Paul is much more, uh, you know, he uh, does like corporate, man corporate and medical management, and you wouldn't necessarily know. But so, like that, so that's like a smaller, subtle thing is that he's like a master packer, which apparently he learned in the military. Uh, growing up, my dad had different sayings that came out of his basic training experience. <laughs> My dad has lots of little sayings or jokes he has that he just finds funny. And he loved to say, even if he didn't fully mean it, he, he would just mean like, okay, don't take forever. But he always loved to say, eat it now, taste it later. Because <laughs> apparently... <laughs> that, was that a thing? <laughs> that was a thing that he was told in basic training. And also apparently when they were like outside in the morning. And my dad, it's like, it's just the kind of humor he has. He likes to point out quirks and things, which occasionally got me in trouble as a kid. But it also taught me, along with my mother's humor in different ways, to take a number of things less seriously. So apparently, like one of his basic training sergeants always used to say, and my dad would make, my dad translated it to children. And when he'd wake up in the morning, he'd be like, whoa, your breath smells like wolf dookie. Clean your stuff. Anyway, so and he just, it's just, I don't, so. <laughs> he also liked calling us cockroaches. It's just the whole, it's just the whole thing. Like you said, like, well, cause at times we would be playing and then we would run and hide what we were doing. So he, he, he like said, we were like cockroaches. Anyway, it's just, it's funny to us. Okay? <laughs> I believe you. Um, so anyway, it, you know, maybe it's also partly the intention and the love behind it, you know? And, um, so I have those memories and then I grew up hearing about my uncle who is, one of those folks who's like certifiably a genius who like literally studied astrophysics or rocket science or whatever in college and went on to serve um, in special forces and spoke like four like Arabic, Russian. Um, he was a Russian linguist. He was in Russia during the Cold War. Apparently, his teammates, whatever they're fellow soldier warrior people called him the Baskinator. <laughs> nice. 
Because he was really hardcore. And he's been like this since he was a kid. Like, it's kind of like this role. Like, he was, like, when he was a kid, he would make rockets. And, like, people would, like, tell all kinds of, like, they're, like, myths about my uncle. How, like, they were playing football one day. There's this big dude and my uncle, like, grabbed him by his head and, like, whipped him out of the way. You know, he was the, you know, just amazing athleticism and courage. And then after he retired and he became a veteran and he works for a local office of the VA working with other vets, cool. um, which it, it was a while after he retired um, from his career service, but um, I'm really glad he found that. Mm-hmm. Something that I saw in him and various other people. And I saw this when I spent time in Israel-Palestine, um, particularly with Israeli soldiers, I was able to relate to some of them because I, at times I saw patterns or behavior within them, um, like smoking or um, just being really quiet and like clearly as someone who's empathic, clearly carrying a lot, but having a lot of things where there aren't a lot of venues because much of what they've experienced is is restricted. It's highly confidential. Yeah, there's also that that piece of it, the fact that they carry so much and have so few venues to talk about it actually really weighs on me a bit because me too. My husband, um, so he, he, uh, he had, you know, all kinds of clearances. And so he served, um, you know, with, with folks who were doing really, um, classified things. And <clears throat> it's actually the case that your, your clearance, um, can be in jeopardy if you seek assistance for mental health, um, which is both, absolutely, which both makes sense because they don't want someone who is unstable, um, who has, you know, access to, to state secrets and also just sets up our soldiers and sailors and spies for suffering because then they can't seek help. We all have mental health. Problems. Any range. Any re- yeah, as someone who gets a lot of healing, it's just yeah, it's I mean, something I think about a lot. Yeah. And that with some of my, there's a, specifically a couple family members where I, you know, like if I had more resources, like I wanted, I wanted them to get the support they need. But some of them, depending upon exactly what levels of clearance they had and the types of things they were involved with, there's almost no one in it. It's, and, it's like a heartbreak that I've carried for a while. And to be clear, like the folks who are, having like true distress that need help, like the military and the, the structures are there, right. there are, there is help, but then they have to do a different job. They lose their clearance and they have to actually get reassigned. So, um, for folks who have, you know, just like everyday crap that we all have that we need to work through and it helps to work through with like talking it through. Um, if you seek help, you could be jeopardizing your job. Um, and if you love what you do, then, you know, that's, that's a terrible, that's a terrible choice that we put on our, on our service yeah. members, I I think. Um, yeah. And so I would just love to put out in the universe that I would love, like into the ether that I would love for among also and just in general, there'd be more peace. So that a number of soldiers and future possible veterans don't have to be veterans because that isn't needed. Um, I also want this to be more figure outable because as you said, like for 
certain men in my family, that was never even a question. Like they took the, like they would like, like that was something I wanted for them. Right. Um, that I don't even know some of them, I think they did want and other things that I think that's so just not where their head is, mm-hmm. but I could see this person is functional by society standards, but either I know who this person was before or well, it's, it's, they could, they could like, just like many people, they could benefit yeah. from yeah. not having to carry all of these things alone. Yeah. 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 And we see that. I mean, like how many, how many, too many, too many, if it were one, it would be too many. And it's a lot more than one of our veterans who actually yeah. end up homeless because of, um, because of drug addiction, because of mental health issues, because of whatever it might be like that shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case. I mean, the sacrifices that yeah. our service members make um, in war or in peacetime, I mean, I, I've i seen it firsthand. Their families make sacrifices and they make sacrifices and we should take care of them. We, we just, as a society, we should be taking care of them. It breaks my heart. Every, there's, a, there's a U.S. Navy veteran with a cardboard sign that he works a corner that I drive past when I go to pick my daughter up from school. And whenever I have money, I always give him some and I thank him for his service and it's not enough. Right. Yeah. And both my brother and I opted to not go into the military though. As when I was in high school and I think my brother too, it was something that we both considered um, in part because it's so ubiquitous and also because it's in our family um, and we both have con- consciously chosen to not take that path. And I think specifically the thing that I just want to lift up that I already have, that I, I want to lift up the positives and the joy, you know, and that I'm, we chose not to do that. We have a, a cousin who is an officer in the Marines. Um, and as I mentioned before, other, a number of decorated, uh, military veterans throughout my family, my grandfather, he also received the bronze star, which general MacArthur racistly refused to bestow upon him. So general Doolittle stepped in and gave him the bronze star. Um, to a black man. And what I'm trying to say is that my brother and I have not chosen that path. And I also feel so proud of my family members, both present and past who have served and not just of their service, but they are incredibly nuanced men with a variety of political views and perspectives. And often with some of the most rigorous critiques of this country uh, feeling as though they have more than earned (laughs) the right and have a perspective from what their service exposed them to in terms of the global landscape and different things. And so I think, I think we've mostly achieved our goal here of wanting to add some nuance to some of the conversation that may happen on veterans day to add a personal touch to share some high points and just also um, bring visibility about these important folks in our society and within our communities and within our families. Um, 
and that we can, as Tracy put it from the outset, advocate for peace and also support the people around us um, and support folks who have served in not just theoretical ways, but in very real and visceral ways. So happy Veterans Day and specifically happy Veterans Day to our beloved vets. Tracy, do you want to close us out? Veterans Day is a symbol that relies on other symbols. And um, all of those symbols can be used for, as all symbols, can be used for good and for ill. And I just want to invite us all to remember the nuance and hold both and, and really, as I said, when I was in grad school, focus on the people. Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time and stay humble and keep going.